0: Vladimir Zviagin, Bureau Chief, Soviet TV and Radio in New York City, responsible for portraying the life of these United States to the people of Russia. If this program were to be rebroadcast in Mr. Zviagin's homeland, say in his city of Moscow or in Leningrad, We would want the listeners to know that this local Presbyterian or Reformed congregation, located in the center of a major Midwestern city, with strong co-sponsoring support from the larger community of private individuals, business and professional groups, corporations and foundations, sponsors these forums as a service to the public as many as eight times a year and that of a Thursday noon. We invite people from across the nation and beyond who are accomplished in their fields and known to have an ethical cutting edge to their disciplines to address us for half an hour and then to respond to questions from the floor for another half hour. The doors of the Church are open to all comers without charge. Furthermore, what takes place here is broadcast live to the entire region through the uh, Minnesota Public Radio System, and rebroadcast nationally in some 50 locales through the offices of American Public Radio, some 50 cities around the country, that is. But back to our special guest of the day, Mr. Vladimir Zviagin, Bureau Chief, Soviet TV and Radio, situated in New York City. He is a native of and a graduate of, native of Moscow, and graduate of Moscow University. He speaks fluent English, as you will soon realize, and French and Czech. He has traveled extensively to many parts of the world as a TV and radio reporter and as a board member of the National USSR U.S. Association. Perhaps he will tell us a bit more about that association. While in the United States, he's been covering political, economic, social, and cultural events throughout the country. He's been interviewed on such programs as Nightline. He interviewed President Reagan prior to Mr. Reagan's trip to Moscow for the first summit meeting with Mr. Gorbachev and with Secretary of State George Shultz after that summit. How appropriate, for that and many other reasons, that Mr. Zviagin is here to speak to us on the subject between the two summits. How fortuitous, furthermore, that we have him with us at a time when we have seen more change in much of the world, including Russia and Eastern Europe, than we have witnessed in the past half century. So for many reasons, and many good reasons, we welcome you, Mr. Zviagin.
1: Good morning. It gives me a special privilege to uh, be here in Minneapolis and to address uh, a distinguished forum of uh, people who live in the heartland of America. And I would like to thank the Westminster Town Hall Forum and the Moss and Barnett Professional Association for providing the guidance, support, and uh, sponsorship in making this trip possible. A few of you uh, certainly realize that uh, this area, to us Russian journalists who work uh, in the U.S. and are posted in uh, cities like New York uh, or Washington, is a closed city in an open state, in an open country. There are certain restrictions uh, which are imposed on us uh, by the State Department so that we cannot travel to places like Hawaii, uh, Detroit. Seattle, Minneapolis, or Las Vegas. Well, Las Vegas is understandable, but then uh, why Minneapolis? We're also restricted in our travels beyond the 25-mile limits outside of New York, and each time we have to apply to the uh, State Department for permission. The same is true uh, uh, with regard to American correspondence in Moscow, and this has been going on for the last 40-plus uh, years. Uh, in uh, the Soviet Union, the restrictions were introduced Um, at the beginning of the war and never lifted uh, uh, and uh, removed uh, during the Cold War period. So it's regrettable that we journalists are really limited in covering America for, or the Soviet Union, for our respective audiences. And uh, I really hope sincerely that this is a welcome breakthrough uh, and that this trip is the first but won't be the last for us to uh, cover this part of the country. Uh, I uh, also would like to say that it's very important for us to try and cover as much as we can of this land in a very open and uh, uh, candid way because of the uh, dramatic changes in the Soviet Union uh, these days, remarkable changes that uh, have been taking a qualitative uh, character over the last couple of years. You have to remember that the uh, uh, 72-year history of the Soviet Union has been a turbulent one in many ways. The uh, War of 1914 and then the Revolution of 1917, the Civil War that followed, and the uh, period under Stalin and the Second World War, which took a heavy toll on the uh, country. The figures have it, and they cannot be uh, Confirmed or denied, but the latest figure ha- figures have it that some 26 million Soviets died in the last war alone. Uh, there were many uh, casualties, many people uh, who died in uh, Stalin's camps and the gulag uh, in the uh, camps uh, before the war and after the war. and uh, then the nuclear arms race, which also took a heavy toll on our country, just like on the USA. Uh, and, uh, of course, when we started this arms race in 1945, that was not really uh, 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 an equal position for the U.S. and the Soviets, because by 1945, after the war, one-third of the Soviet national wealth was gone, and many, many cities and towns across the European part of the country were demolished and brought to the ground. For instance, in Belarus with the capital of Minsk, one-fourth of all the cities and towns and townships were destroyed, and in Minsk itself, there was only one building which was left intact. So uh, uh, the changes are dramatic, but uh, uh, as you know, the uh, process of perestroika restructuring initiated by Mr. Gorbachev and his uh, associates in 1986, Uh, is taking a dramatic turn these days, and it's only in the last year, in fact, that uh, we had a chance to really move the process of perestroika into high gear, uh, with the elections into the People's Congress, which is the highest governing body in the country, and then the elections of the Supreme Soviet, which is our national parliament. Uh, So actually, out of the five years that Mr. Gorbachev uh, and his associates and the process of perestroika itself uh, had, we have only one year of the actual de facto movement ahead. The rest was just preparation. Uh, almost a year ago, on March 26, 1989, we had elections. That was, in fact, the first elections in 72 years With that we had a choice of more than one candidate. In some places there were nine, in some places up to 15 candidates per seat. So that was a reawakening of a huge nation like ours after many years of political lethargy. Uh, I don't think that many segments of the society, all segments of the society, were really ready for such a turn of events. On the one hand, the uh, um, radical and democratic forces we were not prepared to move so fast ahead. On the other hand, the bureaucratic uh, uh, forces, the apparatus of bureaucracy in the party, in the Soviets, although they lost in 40 uh, election districts across the country, still uh, managed to secure the control over the Congress and over the Parliament. Uh, however, despite the certain discrepancies in the election law uh, according to which elections were conducted into the Congress and into the National Parliament. Still, we are witnessing today, especially today in the last uh, few months, that Parliament is moving ahead with adopting more and more progressive laws which make the progress of perestroika uh, live and uh, Ongoing. Uh, I have uh, to uh, maybe c- c- cautiously uh, admit that we are witnessing a painful but ongoing process of rethinking by the deputies, by Mr. Gorbachev himself, by the leaders of the country uh, at the top of the uh, postulates and some of the tenets. That they uh, built the uh, parliament on uh, only uh, a year ago. Uh, What's ahead in this area? Uh, In about a week or ten days from now, they will have elections to local councils, local parliaments, Republican parliaments. And uh, as I see it, this will be the most crucial stage in the development of perestroika, restructuring, and glasnost in the Soviet Union. Why? Because most of the local councils, most of the local uh, Soviets, as we call them, Republican parliaments, are made up now of people who were elected into those parliaments, into those councils, prior to uh, perestroika, before it even started. So most of them were elected there not because they were so active politically, socially, uh, publicly, but because their bureaucratic positions provided for that. And they're sitting on their hands now doing nothing. They're idle. They're not really a help for the process of perestroika because many of them feel that they will not be reelected uh, in the face of so many new, younger faces who are urging the country to go ahead and to come up with bright ideas nationally, locally. And that's why the process of perestroika was sort of uh, uh, witnessing uh, breaks being applied here and there locally. You cannot uh, introduce revolution from above and perestroika, excuse me, is uh, a revolution after the revolution within the revolution. 72 years ago after, uh, uh, 72 years ago we had the revolution of 1917 and now we're witnessing another revolution. Uh, And in, in many ways it's even more dramatic than the revolution of uh, 1917. Uh, And I think that the crucial issue today is that while the bureaucratic apparatus, while bureaucracy, is controlling so many things and is not really responsible to the people, before the people, for their actions, Perestroika will never be able to uh, take off the ground. And this is why the upcoming elections are so important. Uh, Why Perestroika is not moving ahead faster you might ask this question. I think because we have inherited uh, a powerful system uh, of inertia, the system which does not really move uh, by the forces from the inside, but it's just moving now slowly ahead uh, along the same uh, tracks that uh, had been installed a long, long time ago. Uh, The problems which we have inherited are, are, cannot be solved overnight. They cannot be solved in two years or in 10 years. It'll probably take uh, a new generation of leaders, a new generation of uh, labor, a new generation of intellectuals to uh, try and resolve these problems. Uh, what are the problems? Uh, the agrarian problems. Farmers have been uh, divorced from their land under Stalin, under the uh, system of collect- uh, forced collectivization. Uh, And now we're trying to go back by force of new laws, by force of introducing new mentality, which is a difficult thing to to change. Uh, We're trying to go back to the slogans of the revolution of 1917, which said that land to the farmers, that was the slogan of the revolution of 1917. It was barely implemented, and then Stalin uh, introduced the forced collectivization. Lend to the farmers and power to the Soviets. That was the slogan of 1917. And it never materialized because the party, the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, took uh, control of most of uh, the Soviets, most of the local and uh, national governing bodies. Uh, It's also a problem of prices. It's also a problem of the uh, monetary reform. It's also a problem of the... uh, Uh, irrational use of labor resources, and many, many more, and we'll speak briefly about them later. But you can, by the very description, brief mentioning of these problems, realize that the uh, enormous problems that Mr. Gorbachev faces, the parliament, which has been talking about these problems over the last uh, year, uh, is uh, torn between the need to look into the future, far into the future, and the need to resolve these issues right now, today, because the economy is getting from bad to worse and you cannot really uh, ignore it. People are saying, well, Perestroika has been here for the last five years and what have uh, we seen? We've seen uh, more and more empty shelves and the economy in shambles. So uh, the media is very active in Uh, promoting new ideas. There's a lot of discussion, and probably today, for the media, it's the most exciting period in the last 70 years. You can uh, uh, read uh, the uh, boldest, imaginable discussion in our papers these days uh, discussing the ideas of uh, uh, anarcho-syndicalism, socialist uh, reforms. Uh, There are monarchists, uh, who are, who came up with their ideas of restoring uh, uh, Tsar in our country and things like that. They're, uh, uh, dis- they're discussing uh, uh, the privatization of uh, the media, of some papers, introducing new television channels, privates, privately owned uh, stations. Television is changing very fast, although as a television person, I, I have to admit that I would like to see m- many more changes in our television today. Uh, But, of course, there are two or three major issues which we all face uh, nationally. One, of course, is the role and the place of the party in the future of our nation. To which degree the party, as uh, you know, the party uh, voted a a few days ago to abolish Article 6 from the Constitution, which gave it the monopoly on power uh, constitutionally. Uh, which place the party will uh, occupy in the future of our country. And there's a lot of discussion within the ranks of the party uh, today where we go from here, if there are more than one party. And in fact, we do have more than one party in the country today. For instance, in Lithuania, there are two communist parties already. De facto, there are more parties uh, in the country Uh, than are officially recognized. So it's just the need to officially recognize the uh, multi-party system in the Soviet Union today. And the second question, of course, is the division of uh, labor, so to say, between the parties and the state. The parties should have no authority to interfere into running the country, into governing the state. And the parties should play their political and social role, but not interfere with, the, uh, with this uh, process. So again, the, the, uh, this is a very painful process. Why? Because uh, the very existence of the party over the last 70 plus years has been uh, the reason and uh, the uh, explanation why it uh, has been fulfilling its historic mission, its ideological mission, and all ideological, all political, all economic problems had to be, had to be uh, resolved and decided by the party first and then introduced into the rest of the country. So probably this very issue of the correlation between the party and the state is is, uh, what will uh, be resolved in the next uh, uh, few months the next Congress of People's Deputies and in Parliament too, uh, they will discuss this issue and uh, hopefully by uh, later this year, the Congress uh, will remove Article 6 from the Constitution. Well, of course, will be a powerful boost for the multi-party rule in the country. And then, then the third issue, which I <clears throat> mentioned earlier, is the issue of ownership. Super monopolies and this is known here in this country as well as in ours, super monopolies uh, uh, and their domination on the national economy, political life, whatever, lead to stagnation. Ours is is a nation of super monopolies. Uh, You have seven or eight or ten or eleven powerful oil companies which run this business, and you call them monopolies. We have only one oil ministry, which runs the entire oil business across the country. This is the uh, super, super monopoly, to give you just one example. The same is true in other areas, and you cannot possibly run a successful economy if one ministry, one entity decides for the rest of the country what is good and what is bad, and they're not really concerned about the ecology in Siberia, up north in the Arctic, Uh, area. They're not really concerned about certain local issues. They have their own goals, their own quotas, and uh, this explains a lot of local problems, Republican problems. Uh, Just to give you an example. Uh, So, this discussion is very open, very intense, sometimes bitter and fierce, Uh, and uh, this will be uh, one of the focal points of um, uh, the national debate in the next uh, years, in the years to come. Now, we talked about the party a while ago. What the party has been able to achieve uh, and this gives a lot of credit to Mr. Gorbachev and his uh, associates. They um, abolished censorship and uh, We have no political prisoners in our country today. They uh, radically criticized the existing economic and political structure and came up with with very interesting ideas of restructuring the political and social and economic life of the country. They uh, removed all, basically all barriers, all uh, bans on the political uh, activity of citizens and uh, we are introducing, as I said, the new democratic process uh, in electing new uh, entities and, uh, in the system of representatives, representative uh, offices. Now, pluralism in politics and economics. Barriers which uh, have been removed to allow more and more people to travel. And I know that there are many more Soviets who travel into the U.S. these days than ever before. Uh, Now, political and military confrontation with the outside world, with the United States in particular, and from uh, Iceland, from Reykjavik, from Geneva to Reykjavik, to uh, Washington, to Malta, Wyoming, we are witnessing an upsurge of the disarmament actions on the part of both the Soviet Union and the United States, and this is a very welcome development in this within the framework of this whole process as such. And I think that uh, we are finally on both sides coming to recognize that human, comprehensively human world global interests should really dominate class ideological interests or uh, pragmatic national interests. Of course, there are many more things that have been done by Mr. Gorbachev and his associates. And I think that uh, we, uh, back home are all welcoming this. But again, as I said, five years have elapsed, and not much has been achieved economically. And that's why people back home say that we are sick and tired of the parliament uh, and, the, and the deputies talking, talking, and talking on end. Where is the result? Uh, indeed, uh, uh, this is one of the most crucial issues, and uh, As I said, maybe the elections, hopefully the elections into local councils and the Republican councils will dramatically alter this balance of uh, forces. Uh, Another thing uh, which I think is is very uh, important is to restructure, to change the consciousness of people, to make uh, them know and realize that many of the things that we talked about in the past are not really true and it's hard because we have been, just like we have been telling uh, uh, the media, when I say we, the media has been saying to uh, the Soviets for many, many years that America is the foe, America is the enemy and uh, all the problems that we have back home is due to uh, this opposition and the uh, uh, battle uh, for supremacy with the US. The same was true here. It's very easy, by the way, to have the enemy and uh, put all the blame on the enemy. Now, we are painfully coming uh, to realize that this is not really true, but we have some other problems back home which we have to cope with. And uh, the nationalities issues, uh, the uh, problems of borders, when Stalin moved uh, entire nations like the Tatars from the Crimea. He moved them to other parts of the country. Now the uh, Tatars come back to the Crimea, and what do they see? They, they cannot resettle there because all the lands are occupied. This just gives you an example, one small example to illustrate the dramatic nature of many of the problems that the leadership back home faces. And uh, in, the, in, the, uh, in Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia, the countries which uh, were independent prior to 1940, and now they want to go back to where they were, but it's, again, a difficult problem because economically they're tied up with the, with the Soviet resources, with the Soviet power sources, and so on and so forth. Uh, the, central, the federal government, the central government in Moscow sells all these uh, raw materials to them far below the international prices. What will happen to uh, the three republics if they decide to secede and become separate entities again? Will they be uh, buying these uh, raw materials at world prices? Where will they get their oil, their energy, and so on? It's, It's not a very simple issue. It's not a simple issue at all. So when I hear my American colleagues and some of the people here in this country discuss this and other... Uh, issues in, in a black and white manner, I always say, look, it's very hard, it's very easy to judge someone from far away, but let's look into the history of these problems. There are many Russians living in uh, Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. There are many uh, uh, Ukrainians, Belarusians living there. What will they do? There was a proposal, by the way, uh, to uh, deprive uh, migrants, as they were called, uh, of, of uh, election rights. So people will have to go back. Who will pay for their resettlement and so forth? Or the problem of Azerbaijan and the Armenians there. I, when I was in the army, and I, we have a compulsory service of two years, and I served for two years in uh, Central Asia, and then in Baku, and I spent a year in Baku. I have many friends there. And uh, I was really uh, uh, taken aback by the events bloody events there only a few weeks ago Uh, in early 70s they uh, called themselves Bakinians in Baku not Armenians, Azerbaijani or Russians they uh, would say we live in Baku this is our city this was one of the most cosmopolitan cities uh, in that area now you have uh, these bloody uh, clashes and uh, uh, recimonial accusations and so on Uh, I think that the basis of all of of these problems is the economic failure of local and central governments to make it sure that people uh, have enough food, have all the uh, consumer goods available to them, and so on and so forth. We have a saying that when people are clothed and uh, fed, when they are content with life, they don't fight, they don't each other don't kill each other. And this is exactly what is happening there. So whatever issues we take, they uh, boil down to the essentials. The economy should work. And the economy is working very, very slowly. The restructuring of the economy is very slow. Uh, You cannot possibly, from the state planning agency, uh, introduce all the data, all the figures for each and every local enterprise and tell them what to produce, who to ship to, and so on and so forth. This is an enormous country. Uh, If you look at the map of the Soviet Union, it stretches from the Far East and uh, into the West over 11 time zones. Being in television, I know how tough it is to cover television-wise the events of the world for people who live in Vladivostok when it's only nine o'clock at night in Moscow. You have only three time zones, and still you have certain difficulty. And you have replay, rebroadcast. When you have Ted Koppel in New York, it's only 9 o'clock in uh, Los Angeles. So uh, this is also a problem. So that's why they're trying to uh, introduce uh, a lot more of private incentive, something that people almost completely forgot about. We have uh, been... Uh, losing many of the better things of our national culture, our national heritage. Uh, And this is also a serious issue because all of a sudden, uh, we, uh, going back to the roots, we've realized that people just don't know uh, some of the basics of our culture, some of the basics of our religion. For instance, when we uh, marked the uh, millennium of uh, Christianity in Russia uh, a year ago, uh, there were many, many people across the country who thought this uh, is irrelevant uh, to our national culture. What is Christianity? We have church uh, which is separate from the state and we shouldn't really bother about that. Let church uh, mark this millennium, which was definitely wrong. And uh, Mr. Gorbachev himself insisted that this be marked nationally because religion is part and parcel of our national heritage, national history. Religion has been uh, a powerful tool and vehicle for many smaller and bigger nations across the country to be together over many, many centuries. If you uh, look back into our history and read about Peter the Great, Ivan the Terrible, Catherine, and many, many other uh, great rulers, they always uh, used religion and uh, r- religious offices across the country to pool our nation together. Uh, I have many more things to say, and really, uh, uh, as we say in, uh, in television, time is limited, so uh, make it snappy. Uh, time is really limited, and uh, we all realize that we can do so much only uh, to uh, uh, bring across the message uh, of what's happening. Uh, We, uh, in New York, there are some 21 Soviet journalists, and very often we are invited to various um, gatherings, meetings, people are really interested in what's going on. To me, Personally, this is a great relief because only a few years ago, uh, I uh, traveled with a group of uh, the Soviet-American Association, of which, as uh, was mentioned here, I am a member of the board. Uh, we traveled to Buffalo, New York, for a ten-day visit, and there was one lady in the local church where we, we were invited invited to speak. Uh, she uh, was a wife of a local church minister and uh, she spent most of her life at home having seven children and she came up to me after this event and said I don't believe that you're a Russian. Why? Uh, I said why? And she said you know blacks are black uh, yellows are yellow and you're red and you're white. (laughs) And Maybe that was a little bit going too far, but I I truly believe that there are many people in this country who have a very vague knowledge of what is going on in the Soviet Union and visualize these events, as I said, in black and white colors. This is a very multicolor picture. The events are exciting. One of the uh, uh, exciting events that brought me here in particular also is the joint Soviet-American project uh, in diabetes. You have a, a wonderful International Diabetes Center here in the city of Minneapolis. And the wonderful people at the center have uh, been doing uh, uh, an enormous and the first-ever Soviet-American medical project in this area of diabetes. And I'm sure that this will provide a lot of relief to people both here in this country and in the Soviet Union. And it's not, and I want to stress it very emphatically, it's not that this country is giving something to the Soviets. It's a two-way process. Giving is taking, and taking is giving. And it's uh, exciting to see many of these things happening, many of these things happening at this particular time. Because, of course, we're different. We're different in our history, we're different in our cultures and our backgrounds. But being different does not mean that some are better and some are worse. That you do not rank nations, tabulate nations by their being more intelligent and less intelligent. Uh, Our country has enormous intellectual uh, resources, other resources. Uh, This coming century will definitely be a century of renaissance, I strongly believe that, of Russian culture and uh, Russia uh, as, as a nation. And uh, it's with this message of of understanding that uh, we treat uh, the welcome posture of the U.S. administration, their sympathetic attitude uh, towards uh, many of the things that are happening back home. And when Vaclav Havel spoke yesterday of the Soviet Union in the Congress, and I happen to live in Czechoslovakia for almost seven years, I know Czechs very well, and know their culture and know their attitudes and know the sufferings that they went through in 1968 when the Soviet Union introduced troops into Czechoslovakia to crush the Prague Spring spirit. Uh, Havel said yesterday that the best this nation can do is to support the democratic reforms in the Soviet Union. And I'm sure that this is true because you're not doing this, this country is not doing this for Gorbachev. This country is not doing this for some individuals It's a process which really uh, takes uh, us to you and takes this country to us because we live in the same world together.
0: Thank you, Mr. Ziogin. I couldn't help but comment when I first met you just a couple of hours ago uh, that you're much more animated and handsome than the picture that, uh, that carries your likeness on the brochure that's gone all over the, the community. You distanced yourself from it by saying that it was your passport picture and uh, I can't remember, I can't help but recall the statement that if you like your passport picture, you're not well enough to travel. (laughs) This does provide a a brief break for those of you who must leave, but more importantly, a time when uh, you can pass your questions on those yellow cards to the aisles, which will be promptly picked up uh, by the ushers. Let me simply take a moment to remind our radio audience that uh, for the past half hour you have been listening to Vladimir Zviagin who is bureau chief for Soviet radio and television based in New York City. His presence here today is being co-sponsored by the law firm of Moss and Barnett, a professional association. Let me also indicate to the uh, radio audience that you may call in uh, a question if you have one. The phone number here at the church is 332-3421. Let me also say that uh, while there won't be time to handle all the questions that come forward, uh, they will all be given to our speakers so that one way and another uh, he will know what's uh, on your mind relative to uh, him and, and uh, the issues he raises. Well, Mr. Viaghan, would you please return to the podium, and uh, perhaps we can start uh, shooting a few questions in your direction. Just as a starter, uh, I heard you being interviewed on the radio this morning, and uh, you said, among other things, that it's an exciting time uh, to cover the United States for the Soviet citizenry. I wonder if you'd expand on that a bit.
1: It's exciting, sir, in the sense that uh, many Soviets have been uh, looking to this nation... Uh, over the past 45 years for inspiration, for uh, more uh, information on technology, uh, for more exchange. And I think that in the minds of uh, and in the hearts of many Russians there are two ideas of, uh, of an American. One is that of a GI who uh, helped and uh, was instrumental uh, in uh, our Uh, allied effort to defeat Nazi Germany fascism uh, during the Second World War and the second is that of uh, a capitalist with a big cigar (laughs) uh, looking for more and more money to earn and greedy and not really uh, uh, looking uh, after the uh, world sentiments is not really uh, careful how they he or she behaves and so on and so forth. So these two uh, are not really always together, but that's how uh, the idea of an American Uh have come to live uh, along each other. These ideas have come to live uh, along each other in the hearts and minds of many Soviets. The reality is different, as I said on the radio this morning too. Uh, It's really our fault, the fault of the media, that we have been feeding the soviets over many many years with a distorted picture of america the picture in which they were homeless but there were no decent homes there were pop culture not the real culture there were jobless but not the description of the real jobs that this country uh, enjoyed of course this is not an ideal society and you probably know it better than anyone else but uh, you cannot blame the Soviets for trying to build a better society. In fact, when you think of uh, why uh, uh, there are so many problems in our society today, uh, you will realize that this is the first society which was social system which was built according to the books and not the other way around. Capitalism has been in place for over 200 years. There are many books written about it as it is. And socialism was the first one introduced according to the books, so no one really knew where to go and how to do it. And where we failed, hopefully, the uh, future generations will pick up because I'm convinced that the philosophy of socialism, as a political philosophy, has many beautiful ideas. Many socialist ideas have been introduced here in this country uh, in the 30s by Roosevelt. Many socialist ideas are implemented very successfully in such countries as Sweden, for instance. So it's not all that bad. And trying to bring to the people of our country the reality of America, uh, a sobering reality in the sense that, well, this is the country with all its good, bad, and uh, wonderful points. And uh, it's really exciting that we can do it in a very broad and candid manner.
0: I saw an interview last week with a group of people on the streets in Moscow who were so frustrated with present conditions that they were expressing nostalgia for the days of Stalin. Is uh, is this a typical reaction? And if so, what does it mean? I think it's not a typical reaction, but you can
1: find people who think this same way. Uh, I don't think that this is a solution at any point in any society in any social system. Looking back in our history, we had uh, Ivan the Terrible, who was a strong ruler, or Peter the Great, who was also an enlightened man, but who uh, ruled with an iron hand, as you say. Both of them left an an empty uh, uh, spot after them when they died, and the country went to pieces on both occasions after that. There was a lot of disintegration after that. You cannot rule with, 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 with an iron hand just because you have to without really... Uh, sometimes it's necessary, and the history has proved that sometimes a stronger hand is needed, but you cannot do it at this stage in our society at this point in history when uh, uh, you have an educated nation uh, as ours, you have uh, uh, all the richness, richnesses of the world in our land to... Uh, Uh, do it in a democratic way. Uh, You have the uh, social and political structures which could be uh, there in place to follow this uh, democratic path. Iron hand is no solution and I don't really think that our nation is prepared to go back to any of the terrible uh, times that we
0: lived through in the 30s and 40s and 50s. No way. I think the next question ties in. Most Americans think that Gorbachev has led perestroika, and without him it would end. Would you comment?
1: Sure. Gorbachev uh, was instrumental in uh, providing, in in lifting uh, the uh, process of perestroika and lostness off the ground. He is instrumental in in pushing it forward. But then, I personally believe that he uh, could have done more, he could have done better, and that uh, some of the Half measures in economics, issues, in the uh, nationalities issues, in the democratic reform did not really help him that much. He could have done better. And that's why people, after a few years, are looking for an excuse. While well, Gorbachev is fine, but then someone could have done better. Yeltsin was here, uh, Boris Yeltsin, this uh, maverick of a politician was here last year, last fall, uh, Boris Yeltsin claims that he uh, is—he—he he, he has all the solutions. That he should be there. He should be leading the country into uh, the 21st century. I personally don't believe that he has uh, an alternative economic program. That he has an an alternative uh, democratic and political program. Uh, at this point in time, you really don't have an alternative to Gorbachev uh, or. Uh, his associates, they are doing their right job maneuvering in a very skillful way along the, uh, among the many uh, rocks in that turbulent uh, sea of uh, change. What would have been? I don't know. We in history, in politics, deal with what is and not with what might have been. And this is probably the only uh, right approach to the problem.
0: Thank you. Another question from the floor. Do most Soviet people trust the concept of free enterprise as an economic solution to your consumer problems?
1: Of course not. Many Soviets distrust the very idea of a a private incentive, of a private enterprise, and this is reflected in a very negative attitude towards uh, cooperatives, which is a form of uh, free enterprise on a very, very low scale. Uh, Somehow, over the last many years, we have been used to, we have been taught that we should be equal, but not in our desire to make our nation more prosperous and in our desire to be, well, better well off ourselves, but in our uh, very low uh, level of living equal in poverty if you, if you wish. So this sort of equality is of course a matter of the past but then again this is deeply implanted in the people's minds and when someone like a member of a cooperative is getting more money, much more money because he works, he or she works hard because they know that this is the only way to make their living better, to make Uh, the living of their parents, their kids, their friends better. Uh, There are quite a few other people who are not really taught and not used to work hard enough and who are very uh, content with what they have, and they would uh, raise hell. And they would say, well, what is going on? These people are enriching themselves at our expense, and this is what is happening with cooperatives. So not all the people are prepared to uh, tolerate this, and that explains some of the problems with the free enterprise uh, introduction of the Soviet market. Mm-hmm.
0: The next question, please comment on the reports of growing anti-Semitism in the Soviet Union. That's a serious one.
1: Uh, Anti-Semitism has always been present in Russia before the revo- revolution, after the revolution, just like it's, uh, I, I feel. Uh, Is uh, present here in this country. Jews make up uh, uh, a total of 0.7% of the entire population of the Soviet Union. Uh, They're mostly uh, uh, prominent, and uh, the number of people who win top prizes in cinematography and literature and uh, other areas is something like 6 or 7%. I mean, the Jews who are prominent in those areas. And uh, they play a very prominent part in our uh, culture and the arts, in the uh, technology, in the management. So on the part of the state, it would be absolutely counterproductive to try and push this anti-Semitism as a uh, a political guide, as a political um, action. What is happening really is that some of the nationalistic groups Uh, Russophobic groups mostly are trying to uh, use this tool and as I said it's very convenient to have the enemy someone that you can play uh, put all the blame on for whatever goes wrong and they have been trying to use anti-Semitism in order to justify what they're doing Uh, they find support and I'm sure that there are some people even in the uh, uh, local administrations, or maybe in the government, who, in a, in a roundabout way, give them moral support. But just this morning uh, in the USA Today, I read that uh, uh, the Soviet national authorities are filing a suit against a, a national group called Pamyet, memory, it's a notorious anti-Semitic group, which has issued a number of pamphlets with anti-Semitic appeals they filing a, a suit, a legal suit against them, and they will be uh, brought to justice. I'm sure that the overwhelming majority of people do not approve of it, and I know for a fact because this is, this is the reality of life, but this is a serious issue, and this makes many people uh, fear for their lives in certain areas. When they say, for instance, in Moscow that, uh, uh, okay, on May 25th, we will uh, have programs and all the Jews beware. It's a serious issue. It's a political issue rather than anything else today because it distracts the attention of an enormous number of people back home from the real issues and, uh, well, Mm -hmm. we have to fight it.
0: Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh, What is your reaction to the fact that the Atlantis space crew is planning momentarily to launch a satellite spy on the USSR? (laughs) At least a group of Soviet legislators went there first to, to check
1: <laughs> and that was Cape uh, Canaveral. Witnessed the first ever visit by a group of Soviet legislators a few days ago. They were there. Of course, they were. They were not allowed to witness what's inside. I don't think that this is really instrumental today uh, in bringing more uh, trust, more tolerance in both parts. For instance, I've heard that in Israel, in the Negev desert, they're building. Uh, despite uh, protests of many environmentalists, a huge Voice of America transmitting station. And this transmitter will bring, as the Voice of American people said, the truth about the world to the people of Azerbaijan, uh, Armenia, uh, Georgia, Turkmenia, and so on. I don't think that this is really what we need today. The area is uh, torn between. Uh, in in a nationalistic strife Mm -hmm. and it's not really what we need today maybe this money could have been spent much, much more wisely
0: I think uh, one of the Russians who went through uh, when asked that same question said uh, we have nothing to hide, you're wasting your money (laughs) Um, you commented on uh, religious life in the Soviet Union as being integral uh, to the history and uh, of what uh, Russia is and the Russian people. Could you say anything more about the, the force of religious life uh, in the USSR today? We're, we're aware that uh, a lot has happened in the East European uh, countries because of the uh, ferment uh, brought about by religious groups. Uh,
1: I know that there are many more younger people going to church uh, these days, Are many more uh, conscripts to... Um, religious schools and uh, uh, the National Academy. Uh, I can tell you that uh, one of my best friends who um, went to the same school together with me and we shared the same desk uh, became a Baptist minister. and He and his family uh, live in Moscow and uh, we meet as, as, as families. And it's amazing. I found it really amazing at some point a few years ago that me being who I am and he being who he is share the same things. It's amazing because, you know, over the history of our country, over the history of the last uh, 70 years, we've been taught that religion has no place in our society. And that explains, by the way, some of the terrible things that happened after the revolution uh, of 1917 when some of the revolutionary zealots Uh, decided, well, religion has no place in our society. We have to destroy all the churches, all the cathedrals, all the monasteries. But this has not been done by religion. This has been done by people. This is our national heritage. And that explains, by the way, also, why today there is such a powerful drive all across the country to rebuild, to restore the monasteries, the churches, to bring back the culture of our Uh, predecessors because this belongs to the people this is our history this is our uh, culture and we cannot just say religious away with it Uh, the interest uh, to religious is great today as I said many more younger people uh, go to church and join
0: church uh, these days Uh, this this is encouraging would you say a word about some of the fundamental values this is a question from the floor that Americans and Soviets share, and if there are basic values which we don't share, you might highlight those. Uh, That's a huge question, but you might want to brush it. What what do you see as uh, the the, the values that, that in essence, we share that are critical? Well, we share the
1: love for our families, the love for for our motherland. We share uh, our love for peace, and I really hope that this is the right time for both of us to wage peace finally and not wage war, and not accuse each other of uh, being the culprit, being the foe, being the cause of so many negative things happening to both of us uh, separately. I think that we also share uh, love for children, and there are many children traveling back and forth these days. Some of them, as I know, stay here in the in the city of Minneapolis, mm-hmm. uh, and there are many schools which work together and join projects, traveling back and forth. Uh, this is very encouraging because I think whatever we're doing today, uh, Gorbachev, and your administration, and all of us together, is for the future generations to enjoy a much better and prosperous life. And finally, I think that uh, we also share uh, a very powerful, common uh, feeling and value, and that is the, uh, that uh, there are more powerful means than war to resolve our conflicts. Uh, We have heard over uh, decades that America, this country, the United States, plans to uh, attack us using nuclear weapons, the same probably you have heard over many, many years. Uh, This was not really true, but this was used as a vehicle, as a tool to uh, make us spend more and more money on something which we don't really need. So, maybe this idea of trying to resolve whatever we have as a difference or as differences by peaceful means will finally take the upper hand and we will do this together as we have been doing over the last few years in order to secure a better world. The world is turbulent. In Europe today you have uh, uh, talks, you hear talks of a danger emanating from a possible reunited Germany. I don't think this this is true because Germany cannot be divided forever it's an artificial uh, phenomenon Uh, culturally and in many other ways they are uh, a common entity just like Koreans cannot be divided forever this is a one nation so we have to treat these things, uh, approach these things carefully but with a proper understanding of each other and in a peaceful way.
0: Thank you for saying that. Uh, You refer (laughs) Thank you. you referred in your comments moments ago to young people, and uh, I, with you, welcome those uh, groups of young people who are here today as our special guests. Sir, uh, you in the flesh and in this place have represented to us the, the best of the spirit of Perestroika, and, and we thank you for being with us. <laughs>